From the Lincoln Independent Business Association and KLIN Radio, this is the Lincoln Business Beat, a weekly summary of news affecting area business and a review of interesting topics and issues. Along with LIBA President and CEO Bud Seinhorst, I'm Mark Bed. Glad to have you joining us. Lincoln Business Beat is made possible by Currency. Learn more at GoCurrency.com. Well, Bud, uh, last edition we went through the LES budget process and looked at some of the numbers. Final um step in all of this coming up maybe before election yeah so on monday they're actually the city council so les board proposes the budget and adopts it and then it has to go to the city council for adoption and so that'll happen on monday uh the meeting is at 3 p.m at the city county building downtown where the council meets and just a couple of things just to reiterate that we talked about when we did our deep dive uh number one the uh, overall increases over time in the dividend that the ratepayer pays. Yes, I said a dividend paid by the ratepayer, um, which is something that the city mandates. And so it's essentially to me when a government body mandates somebody pay a fee, I call that a tax. But that's just me. Um, and then the other thing is there's another resolution that was passed by LES, which apparently is something that happens on a regular basis, just hit my radar this year, which is they actually passed a resolution where they could actually pass a $300, or excuse me, $300 million bond without a vote of the people. And that just, there's part of me that goes right to the old taxation without representation because the LES board is appointed by the mayor. The LES board is not an elected body, and for them to even have a resolution sitting out there that allows them to issue a $300 million bond that, that the taxpayers are on the hook for, I, I think we need to take exception to that. And not only that, but it would be they would be allowed to do it without even going back to the council. Correct. So the council wouldn't have to approve it. But now I've also heard, and, and we're still running this down, but apparently this resolution will come before the council and the council will vote on it. But at the same time, it's one of those things that's out there that is a little bit disturbing. goes to uh, the word that we often have used here is transparency. Yes, it's exactly. I mean, it. It's something that flies under the radar. That resolution's not even coming up at the same time as the budget. So it just kind of gets swept through, so to speak. And and I think that's a problem. Sort of like that dad joke that I heard the other day. It's uh, uh, opaque. It's, uh, the, the definition of opaque is not very clear. <laughs> so. I'm going to have to use that one on my daughter. She'll love it. <laughs> All right. Well, that's Monday. Uh, but then Tuesday, another big event. Uh, which is really the culmination of something that's been going on now for almost a month. But before we get into Election Day, I do want to just take a quick moment to, again, shout out to Dave Shively, Lancaster County Election Commissioner, because this is his last election that he will be uh, serving. Yeah, Dave has is, is served for 20-plus years in that role and, and has always been just a good public servant. And I appreciate the ability to call Dave and ask a question or send him an email and ask a question. 
and and get the information. And he's very helpful. Um, so we appreciate Dave, and let's hope it's a nice, smooth one for so him. Far, so far in my dealings with him at Harvard, the news department dealing with him at KLIM, he is uh, the poster child, if not the full definition of transparency. Oh, my gosh, absolutely. I mean, Dave will tell you anything you want to know. He'll give you the information. Um, he's very accessible, and he just has been a, a delight to work with. So hopefully we find someone with that kind of focus and mission that Dave has to replace him next year. Let's look at some of the numbers because early ballot requests were nearly 49,000 according to the numbers I've seen and they've had quite a few returned. You can still vote in person at the election commissioner's office but give us that uh, number summary. Well it's about like you said 48,000 requests about 32,000 have been returned. People have also been able to go to the office and and vote but that's, I mean, only two-thirds of the people who have a ballot have returned them within the, here the last couple of days, the updated numbers. Um, but if you look at uh, two years ago in our election during the pandemic, um, there were 90,000 ballot requests and 87,000 returns. So I think we're getting back to what I would consider more of a normal election where I think we'll see people going to the polls and voting on Election Day. Um, but this is a this is a little higher than a normal midterm. The last midterm election was 2018, and there was about 36,000 requests and about 30, just about 34,500 uh, returned. And I mean, we've almost we've almost hit the number of returns, but the request was significantly higher. So um, over the next few days until election day, we'll continue to watch that and see what it's. What it looks like. I know uh, KLIN's doing a lot of election night coverage. It's kind of game day for you guys. <laughs> it's like your Super Bowl almost or something. So you guys will be covering it. So yeah, we get a little gamey in the newsroom too by the time <laughs> it's over, by the way. <laughs> I'm glad I'm here early in the night and not late in the night yes. that night. So, um, but if you want to vote in person uh, or drop off your ballot, the Election Commission office is at 601 North 46th Street. Um, they've got extended hours, uh, you know, yet this week. And then, you know, they're open on Saturday from 8 to noon. And then Monday from 7 a.m. to 5 p.m. You can go in and and deliver your ballot, vote early. The, the one thing I want to mention to people about this is there has been some talk around the community that if you have a, an absentee ballot, you can just show up at your polling place and turn that in. And that is not correct. You have to turn that into the Election Commission office, number one. And number two, if if you show up and it says you already received a ballot, you have to go through a process for a provisional ballot. And you can fill out a provisional ballot, but then there has to be some determinations made on uh, whether or not the ballot that was received in the mail has been returned, et cetera. So I just want to kind of clear those things up because I think that's important um, that we remind people that's our that's how it works. Yeah, those are the rules. Now, the other thing that we want to remind people of is that if you are planning on mailing in your ballot, uh, by the time you hear this, you're going to be right on the edge because it doesn't matter when it's postmarked. It has to be received by the election commissioner's office by 8 p.m. on Wednesday night. Tuesday night. Tuesday night. Thank you. <laughs> We're not Pennsylvania. <laughs> I, I was thinking ahead, but uh, yeah, no, it's it has to be received. So if you mail it on Monday 
And because here in Lincoln, even across town, it's usually two days because the mail goes to Omaha and then comes back. It's not going to count if it's not in their possession. So if you have, if you've requested a mail-in ballot and have not yet mailed it back, be sure it gets back to that drop box or hand-delivered to the election commissioner's office by 8 o'clock Tuesday night. Absolutely. And I would just tell you, um, if you haven't mailed this, if you're listening to this and you haven't mailed your ballot, I cannot stress to you how important it is to get in your car and drive across town and drop that ballot off at the election commission office. It's if you want your vote to be counted, it's very important that you do that. Yeah, they've got a drive up drop box, so there you go. And uh, and it's under video surveillance. That's even better. So Federal Reserve I met this week, uh jumped the federal funds rate another three quarters of a percent. Um that's 75 basis points, three-quarters of a percent. We have not seen what that's going to do to uh, mortgage rates or anything, but you know it's the engine that's driving these higher rates in an effort for the Fed to bring inflation under control. But so far, it doesn't seem to be helping a whole lot. No, and, you know, uh, probably two or three months ago, I was talking to some LIBA members who are bankers, and I said, well, I was reading something where people thought that 8% 30-year mortgages might hit by the end of the year. And they, they really think that that's potential. I mean, we're seeing mortgage rates over 7%, pushing 7 and a quarter, 7 and a third percent already. And that was before this last and increase. Yeah, that was before this increase. Plus, um, there's a prediction that they're going to raise it again about the same amount in December. So if that happens, I think we're looking at 8 to 8.5% mortgage rates. And... That's getting into dangerous zones when we talk about mortgage rates. Well, it takes so many people out of the market of uh, home mortgages, or if they've got one of those adjustable rates, which are not very uh, prevalent anymore, uh, they might be coming more pre- prevalent uh, given the situation. But it takes a lot of people out of the market, or they can't buy nearly what they could have uh, bought a year ago. Oh, my gosh, exactly. I, you know, if you could buy a $300,000 house a year ago, you might be looking at two and a quarter or something just because of what that cost is going to be and what you can afford. And we saw, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, we saw a huge rise in people paying above, uh, you know, assessed values, market rates. I mean, Even people were rates. they were paying forty, fifty thousand $50,000 over asking price, um, which, you know, luckily for them, those interest rates were low. Hopefully they didn't have one of those, you know, five-year interest-only rates and then, or, you know, one of those special loans like that because it would really make a difference now with these rates going up. So I, I think it's something to, to really pay attention to. Also, you know, you make a good point, Mark. I, I just get concerned about we talk about affordable housing and affordability of housing workforce housing you know if we're going to grow from an economic development perspective we have to have workforce housing and that's not just you know some people when we think about affordable housing and affordability of housing some people really seem to think that that means low income only but i think there's a broader spectrum as we look to recruit uh businesses to come to lincoln or business expansion we've got to have workforce housing at all levels you know, if we were recruiting executives to frontline workers, there's a huge variation in pricing and what they can afford. And just having that available is is going to be difficult. 
Well, and the other part that we don't talk a lot about uh, here, or you hear very little about it anywhere, and that's a business that may have an operating loan uh, that they're they're working on, or somebody that has a home equity loan where the rate is tied to uh, the Fed funds rate or prime rate. Uh, those are all going to be affected, and in today's inflation-centric situation, that's another increase that you may not have considered uh, for the cost of living. Yeah, you're right. And, you know, even materials. Um, I was talking with a developer yes, just yesterday that said they're looking at material costs and construction costs are up at least 25%. You know, and so now you think about if you if you took out a home, you know, a home equity line of credit to renovate your kitchen or something like that, your costs are probably 20 to 30% higher than normal. And now you've got this rate that's going to be tied to the to the Fed rate and the, these other things. Now, it's just it's kind of a scary time. Well, the idea behind the Fed raising rates is to dampen demand. That doesn't seem to be happening. But one thing that could certainly throw uh, the proverbial monkey wrench in all of this, we're hearing a lot about uh, fuel shortages diesel especially, and we are so dependent upon the trucking industry in this country for getting uh, goods and supplies. Uh, this could curtail supplies of a lot of um, basics for, for people, not to say anything less about the building supplies and all of that, but we're talking about the possibility of everyday uh, items becoming scarce. You think some of the supply demand issues we had at the during the pandemic, this one could be even worse. Yeah, I mean... I've often heard a lot of people say, a lot of really smart economists talk about the trucking industry is a great industry to follow when it comes to uh, economic times. And when things are going good in the trucking industry, that means the economy is doing well. But, you know, diesel is what powers those trucks. And if we're going to have those shortages, we're talking, I read an article recently that said you may have a shortage of turkeys at Thanksgiving, which... I didn't even think of anything, but I do the grocery shopping in my house, and I was at a gro- the, my normal grocery store, and for like three weeks they haven't had I haven't seen any turkeys, so I happened to stop into another grocery store just to pick up a couple things the other day, and they had turkeys. Guess what? I got a turkey in my freezer. So hopefully the city council doesn't pass a rule that you can't scalp turkeys. But uh, you know, I mean, but those are the kind of things that you, you know you're talking everyday items. And the grocery stores have had issues for two years. This could really, you know, going into winter and all those things, it could really it could really cause some struggles with what we have. And I remember the gas shortages in the 70s when we'd watch the news and people are lined up at the gas station for blocks. Miles. Yeah. In some places, miles. But, yeah, it just, you know... Is that going to happen at the grocery store, at the hardware store, or, you know, those places? We'll stay on it. Yes, absolutely. We're on it on Lincoln Business Beat. We got some numbers on enrollment from Lincoln Public Schools uh, this week, and uh, we just had a very slight number in total. I believe the number was 16, but we're over 41,780 students. Yeah. Uh, But some interesting breakdown because we had an elementary school come online this year and two high schools. Yeah, we had, uh, well, it was one high school. But, you know, I I look at the numbers, and and they're talking year over year, an increase of about 16. 
and and we've I've kind of been just scanning the numbers because they just come out a couple days ago, and haven't really dug in. But I look across the board, and if you look at twenty the twenty nineteen twenty twenty school year, which is the year where the last quarter of school we had the shutdown and and kind of the world shut down, but there are almost every school in LPS is down from that year, and. And and that's not because of birth rates. That's because of a lot of different things. And we, we're going to have to kind of monitor this and dig into it. But I thought it'd be good to share with our learners or our listeners just to to make them aware. Because there, I mean, there are some schools that have had major significant drops since 2019-2020. And, you know, we've got the couple of new schools that are online, which is going to help alleviate a little bit of the problem. But, you know, Northwest High School has an enrollment of about 500. We'll just call it 500 for easy math. But Of course, that's just three grades, first of all. Let's make sure that there is one class that's totally missing there. Yeah, that's in three grades. But, you know, uh, Lincoln East is up six students over last year. Uh, Lincoln High is down about 130 students. North Star's down about 150 students. Um, Northeast is down about 50 students. And Southwest is up 100 and, well, or about 50 or 75 students. Or Southeast, excuse me. They're down about 50 students. And then Southwest is up or down just a, a few. So it'll be it'll be something to watch. And, you know, those numbers are indicative of what they see from state aid and all those other things that we hear during that budget process that I love so much. And we've also, I I don't know how you will factor it in because I don't think we can actually um, calculate the numbers, but how many people, how many families made the decision during the pandemic when the public schools were shut down to enroll their kids in private schools or homeschool? Yeah, that's a, that's another number that would be difficult to track down. Now I can give some anecdotal evidence Um, Here we are in November, and my daughter's private school that she goes to, their enrollment has actually increased about 10 or 15 just from the beginning of the year. And all those kids have come over from LPS. So something to watch and something to track. I think it'll be, be something important for people to pay attention to. Our deep dive is next. We've talked about it phenomena, I guess you would call it, called quiet, uh, quiet quitting in the past. But we ran across an article uh, this last week. It's kind of the opposite side of that. How, how would you describe it? It's well, called... Kind of quiet firing is what they've called it, which um, it was a it was a really interesting article and provided some pretty fascinating things. And I think, you know, we talk about work... We've talked about workforce a lot on this podcast, We've talked about retention. We've talked about recruitment. And, and I think this kind of ties into those as a way to to talk about something that really impacts business and something for people to think about, both business and employees. Quiet firing. That's our deep dive. It's coming up in just a moment. Do you need help finding reliable financing options for heavy machinery, trucks, or other equipment for your business? Currency is here to help. See, Currency specializes in finding the most competitive financing options for construction equipment, farm machinery, trucks, trailers, even other big-ticket items. And whether you're replacing old machines or expanding your fleet, Currency makes it easy to get financing. 
It's secure, free to use, and it gives you a single point of contact for the entire process. Visit GoCurrency.com, fill out the application. Currency will automatically find a lender offering the best rates and terms. Currency is equipment financing made simple. Visit GoCurrency.com and apply today. Offers may vary and arranged by Express Tech Financing, LLC. Doing business is currency. Pursuant to CFL License 60DBO-54873. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The phenomenon that we've talked about on a few editions of Lincoln Business Beat is quiet quitting, and that's defined as mentally checking out and being actively disengaged at work. It's really, uh, according to one summary, it's created a subtrend in the workforce that we're going to take our deep dive on today, and that is called quiet firing. A LinkedIn poll said 48% of the individuals have seen at their office, 35% have said they have uh, directly faced it at their job. Quiet firing. I had never heard of this until about a week ago. Yeah, until we had this article that we shared back and forth and kind of discussed, I, I hadn't heard of it and hadn't been kind of on the radar as i read the article though it somewhat made sense <laughs> you know um it's it's one of those things where you know with the quiet quitting we talked about how the uh employee becomes a disengaged i'll just call it and kind of checks out as you said and oftentimes because you are working remotely yeah oftentimes. not always but a lot of times because you've made a decision that, yeah, I'm just working remotely, I'm not going to pay attention, or, you know, maybe they're actively looking in the workforce because they think that, you know, the grass always seems greener on the other side. But this quiet firing phenomenon is just one that is kind of, it's just basically it's the reverse, where the employer kind of checks out on the employee. And they may be related. Yeah. But I don't think we've really put that domino effect yet into our psyche yeah i don't think we've and and they haven't they didn't really touch on that in the in the article that we were looking at but it it seems like you know if you feel like an employee's kind of a little bit disengaged or maybe you know not quite given the effort or even you know you talked about the remote work mark and you know if there's somebody in the office and i can walk next door and i can talk to him and have a conversation we can work together on something that you know, eliminates that other person that's maybe working remotely. So I kind of see how that comes together a little. The one statistics that I saw in here is that uh, quiet quitting has led to one in three employers quiet firing an employee. So maybe there's a cause and effect. Yeah. But some of the 
the the ways of quiet firing were a little less obvious until I read this. Yeah, you know, and as I read it, like I said, I read it and I went, oh, makes sense, makes sense. I understand what they're saying there. You know, but some of the things are, you know, like I just talked about, being overlooked for certain tasks or meaningful tasks. And if somebody's here and somebody's not, there's a more likelihood that the boss is going to go to the person they can just see instead of trying to schedule a Zoom or get them on the phone or, you know, what have you. Um, Maybe some preferences being denied in the workplace. Maybe a lack of wage increases. You know, maybe we're giving certain people raises, certain people not. Um, Or decrease in communication and or FaceTime with supervisors. And I think, you know, as we've talked about the remote workplace, I found it interesting that um, I heard this week there was the big takeover at Twitter finally. Elon Musk has taken over Twitter and he said, either come back to work or you're not getting a paycheck. You're either back or you're not or you're not part of our organization anymore. So I, I think maybe that might be part of this. We might see some of this with the the remote work type things. So, And you go to the communication effort. Uh, if you're in a remote uh, work environment, where's the responsibility of keeping that communication level up? It's a different type of communication that has to be done, and it really has to be uh, an effort by both sides, and when neither side initiates effective communication it really exacerbates this type of thing it does and i and i think there's there's culpability on both sides on this thing i think both have to focus but i think i noticed this during the pandemic with liba sometimes and not quiet firing or quiet quitting but just that that difficulty communicating across channels because we had meetings which I would call were hybrid. Some of the people were in the room. Some of the people were on Zoom. And it became harder and harder to, you know, because you get an interaction personally and you kind of have a, oh, what about this? And we kind of have that interaction when we're together and the people on the Zoom call or on the video screen kind of get left out. And and I think that's kind of what happens when we talk about that communication is, you know, if somebody's, you know, hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil. But if somebody's not there, you know, it's easier for me to go to Mark and have a conversation than going and, and reaching out across the line. Now, right, wrong or indifferent, it's human nature. Something comes up, we need to take care of it right now. I walk around the corner and talk to the person in the next office versus trying to track down the person that's not there. Well, yeah, it makes that employee feel less appreciated, less in the loop, things are, are moving on. One of the, the points that I thought was extremely interesting, actually two points, employers who feel they're being wrongly, employees, I'm sorry, employees who feel, I say feel, they're being wrongfully held back in their careers, that creates negative outcomes and they take it as more of a toxic environment. And so then you get some of this, quiet quitting, which then leads to more quiet firing. Yeah. It, it's it, it's not really cause and effect, but it's cause and cause. It's like it's almost like a circle that just keeps going round and round, right? That's, that's the vision I have uh, when we talk about that. And I think it causes, like, you and I came up in a time when people would say we have a cancer in the building 
or a cancer in the in the organization and you know it causes some of those kind of things and so the cause I think you're right. I think it's more of a cause-cause than a cause and effect. One of the uh, things that uh, I was glad they finally did uh, address was some tips to eliminate quiet quitting and the need to maybe quiet fire. What, what, what yeah, you think I thought those? those were good, too. Um, you know, they, they offered a couple of tips to eliminate quiet quitting. Number one, it's important to open the lines of communication, which you and I were talking about with workers and to be clear about career advancement opportunities and what that looks like. Number two, if an employee is being intentionally pushed out of their role or subconsciously encouraged to quit, understand this type of passive-aggressive leadership leads to is toxic and can backfire, which kind of makes sense, right? Or real, it does make sense. Not kind, it does. And then it's important to have check-ins with your employees to fully know the health of your culture. And I think there's a lot of ways that people can do that. Maybe it's regular meetings with the entire team. Maybe it's, you know, some team building activities. Maybe it's just the the opportunity to take time one-on-one with employees that you supervise to, to just do check-ins. What's going on? What's happening? What can I help you with? How can I help you do better in your job? And doing those kind of things. If you're uh, managing or in charge of a, a hybrid workforce, the type that when you talk about workforce culture, those can be entirely different cultures, and it's your responsibility as an employer or as a manager to treat those accordingly. And it's not one size fits all in the way your management leadership style is, and the culture that you're trying to um, to cultivate. Uh, you've got to take that into consideration as part of this overall workforce retention or you will automatically uh, have have issues one side or the other, if not both. Well, and it even goes into um, when you're in a multi-generational workforce, right? You got Gen Z, Gen X, the boomers. There's still boomers in the baby boomers in there, the millennials. I resemble that. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, all of those, you know, you have those different styles of people, and I think – the the remote workforce culture versus the in-person versus the hybrid culture. I think you hit a great point there because we've got to figure out how we connect in all of those different arenas, which, you know, puts a big onus on supervisors. And, you know, sometimes the employees expect the supervisor just to change for them. And sometimes the employer expects the employees to change just for them. So it, it it's an interesting phenomenon, exactly, and it was pretty timely based on what we've been talking about, about retention and things that uh, businesses are doing to to grow and retain employees. And as try as you might, the, these uh, cultures are going to get out from within a, a company. And so if, if you're trying to recruit people for your remote workforce, but you've got a fairly toxic or uh, a remote workforce culture, um, that word's going to get out, and that's going to make it, a lot tougher to recruit the type of people that you may want to have on your team. I, I, this, this one paragraph was uh, worth quoting. While it may be easier to push a poor performer to quit instead of having to terminate their employee, employment, having difficult conversations is crucial for workplace morale and leadership integrity. Absolutely. I mean, I just want to say amen at the end of that statement. That's where it goes to the leadership and the employee having to understand, but unless you've had those sometimes tough, sometimes not fun at all conversations, 
Uh, it all goes to your overall employment culture, your retention, your recruitment culture. All of those tie all together. And I think, you know, I think we have to constantly look at, at ourselves and what can we do and what are we trying to do to improve that culture and, and move the organization forward? Interesting conversation. Yes, sir. By the time we gather next, we will have election results. I have a feeling we might talk about some of those. Uh, and a lot of numbers that you can <laughs> do a deep dive. I think we'll just Bud's do a... favorite thing. We should just call it Lincoln Business Numbers or something. <laughs> so, But it'll be an interesting week until we cross paths again. Uh, always fun. Uh, any words of wisdom from uh, Liba at this point? Uh, number one, get out and vote. And number two, share this podcast so people can hear what we're talking about because we think these are important issues for business. And remember... Uh, November 15th, the next LIBA lunch. If you can't be there, if you're not a LIBA member, great guest will be speaking, and that's carried on LIBA's Facebook. Uh, it's a Facebook Live feed. I would encourage you because this is going to be an interesting discussion. Yeah, Dr. Paul Gausman from Lincoln Public Schools, a lot going on at LPS. So it'll be a good opportunity to hear from him now that he's been in the role about five or six months and kind of getting his feet under him. So we're looking forward to having him in. And that is Tuesday the 15th. Correct. 1130. Before Thanksgiving, so it's not Thanksgiving week. It works out perfect. And one week after the election where we can actually uh, have a lot. And from a national perspective, we still may not have final results on several races. Yeah. So. There's a lot going on with these elections. Till we cross paths again, this has been the Lincoln Business Beat from the Lincoln Independent Business Association and KLIN Radio. Reviewing and updating business owners and the community members about what's happening in the business community in and around Lincoln. Along with LIBA President and CEO Bud Seinhorst, I'm Mark Vail, reminding you Lincoln Business Beat is made possible by Currency. Learn more at GoCurrency.com.